Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. I love it on the days that I get to have friends back in the studio again after maybe a little bit of a time before we've had a chance to reconnect in this way. So please help me welcome back to the studio today, Jonathan Kaiser. He's the founder and managing partner for Kaiser, which in the four years maybe since we've seen each other face-to-face, a lot of things have been shifting and changing and pivoting. So I'm excited to hear about all of it right now. (laughs) Happy to chat and thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. Let's start with you just starting with who is Kaiser the company? And then I want to hear about who is Kaiser the Jonathan. Sure, sure. Well, our firm, Kaiser, is a commercial real estate firm that represents occupiers of space. If you think about traditional commercial real estate firms, they primarily represent landlords, developers, and real estate investors. We exclusively represent the tenant or the occupier of space. And so we help them with all elements of leasing, selling, buying, building, disposing, etc. So for us, we've built this brand here in Arizona on the term that we've kind of coined as ours, not that we came up with it, but it's something that we really, it defines every part and informs every part of our business. And that's what we call selfless service. So we believe that selfless service as a business strategy is the greatest business principle of all time. And how that shows up for us is we simply want to see how much we can help, how much we can help others. We're in an industry that is known for being somewhat cutthroat and ruthless and take no prisoners. Litigious too as well. Yeah, and we we try to be different, right? Our whole vision is what if you didn't have to be that way and still be successful? The prevailing thought as I came up in this business before I started my own firm was that to get ahead, that's kind of what it took. And Mm -hmm. so to have a firm that's now saying, look, That's one way, but there is another path. And I believe that, that if you play the long game and you focus on helping others and trying to go above and beyond for them over the long haul, it comes back to you. And so that's what our firm stands for, right? It's, it's what we're all about. So yes, we're a commercial real estate firm, but what we're really about is showing others, right? Our mission is we want to change the business world through selfless service by proving that you truly don't have to be ruthless to win. Which also happens to be the name of your book. <laughs> yes, uh, shocking, right? No, perfect. And um, it's I know it's a, a bestseller and it's been around for a while. I believe that it came out prior to the pandemic. It did, yep. yeah. So if you were to... It had an opportunity to do another edition and add some things or or do it differently. Would you, based on the way in which our world operates today? No, I wouldn't. I think the fundamental philosophy in the book that I wrote, You Don't Have to Be Ruthless to Win, is this idea that I wanted to give people a roadmap for how they could create success for themselves without being ruthless right? Well, following a path of service and help and giving you shall receive and all of these kind of mantras that we grew up with. So I wouldn't change anything because really what it is, it's, it, it was, it was, 
it was a step along the journey on what our vision was and what we were doing daily to accomplish that. Now, obviously, the world has shifted. And what I think has become more and more important is excellence. And so the thing that I don't talk about a lot in my book is how critical excellence is. That's our really our focus as part of Kaiser 2.0 is how do we make sure that we're excellent internally, we're excellent externally, right? And that informs what we do today. So it's the same, but just layered on this extra emphasis of excellence, which was sort of there always, but didn't have the emphasis, didn't have the accountability that it does today. And if I was going to, people always ask me, Hey, you're going to write another book. And I said, the first one was brutal. I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate doing another one, but if I did, and I may, I would call it the Kaiser way, which is like kind of what we've learned about how to, you know, we've been in business for 11 years now, which is kind of hard to believe, but what we've learned over time, you know, how we use selfless service and excellence to serve our clients. Those two, the phrase and the word, selfless service and excellence. I can't remember who was on with us recently. We were talking about kind of their core values or the definition of perfectionism or or being perfect or excellent, let's say. How do you, as a team, define something like selfless service and excellence so that it's measurable and you can track it? Do you have those metrics in place? And, And is that an easy task? Well, number one, it's not an easy task. And anybody that tells you it is has no idea what they're talking about. It's a subjective term, right? Excellence for you may be different from excellence for me. So having clear, defined protocols, guidelines, examples of what excellence looks like. So one of the things, you know, a book that we've been working through as an organization collectively is unreasonable hospitality. Mm. And it's a book written by uh, a guy that started the number one, uh, what became the number one restaurant in the world out of New York. And they describe how at every touch point with the client, they sat down and mapped out uh, surprise and delight opportunities. So we are deep into that. Mm. that. That's what we're spending a lot of time doing is making sure that when we say you can expect excellence at Kaiser, well, here's what excellence means. Mm-hmm. But it's a process, right? I mean, and, and people have to be committed and they have to be willing to, you know, you layer the selfless service stuff on. And part of what makes selfless service so unique and so brilliant, in my opinion, is it's back to the basics. It's how would you treat someone if you really loved them, if you really cared about them, right? At the end of the day, it's What would you do for someone to go above and beyond? What would you want to have happen? And if you come from that mindset in the moment when you don't know exactly what to do, if you have that be your your guiding star, because no matter how much we map out, Karen, there's just not like we're not going to be able to map out every scenario. And then that becomes almost too rigorous anyways Mm -hmm. um, and rigid for people. So you have to give here's some. Here's some important touch points along the way. Here's how we want to be excellent in these. Let's make sure we're adhering to that. We have accountability built in. We Mm -hmm. rolled out a new one today. And then how do we make sure that we're giving people the tools and the freedom to adapt and be 
brilliant and excellent in their own way in the moment when they're on the line. And still in alignment with and reaching towards the, the corporate and the team goals. 100%. You're having me think back to a book I read, and it's been years ago when I was an educator in Kyrene School District. I don't even know if you're familiar with it. Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I've read that book. It's truly book. still one of my favorites. And and it really, and you had kind of alluded to earlier that when you were talking about leadership and, and having written your first book and not having to be ruthless, there's this, you said something like, you know, the morals and the principles that we grew up with. I know that's the home that I grew up in. It sounds like it was the home you grew up in too, that, you know, values mattered and yes. caring for people and loving on each other and helping your neighbor and that kind of thing. Not everybody comes from that no. that background. And yet some of these early readings and, and you know, still uh, influence the way that we lead. You mentioned the book that you're reading now as a team. I know you're an avid reader. Mm. Are you read any, reading anything lately? And where are you at in that trajectory for learning for yourself? I love that question. And I actually have a very different answer how I would have answered that in the past. One of the things that has defined my life since I decided as a young person that I wanted to be successful is I have been hungry and devouring of self-improvement type materials, whether that was educational seminars, whether that was books and, and, and audio recordings of all the great you know, self-help gurus to hiring different coaches, including super coaches, and, and really work digging deep within my, you know, my, my psyche to determine where I was flawed and work on those and get better. It's been this like constant sprint to self-improvement for so Two many years. Two or three years. decades for me, by the way. Yeah. I mean, same with me. I, I mean, I'm about to turn, I just did. I'm about, I'm, I'm one year away from 50. So. <laughs> one year away from 60. <laughs> so we're, we're a decade apart. So I'm feeling it, you know? And, yeah. and one of the things that over the pandemic I did was I said, I feel like everything I read now is sort of a retread of something I've already read or been coached on. And it started to feel highly redundant. Hmm. And I, I also realized that it was always other people's takes versus what's my take on all this stuff. And I'd never taken the time to let all this just sort of settle in to decide what do I actually think about all this versus everybody else's perspectives that I was constantly internalizing and regurgitating. So over the past couple of years, I really haven't read much. I mean, this book, the book that I mentioned was really the only one and we're doing it as an organization. Mm -hmm. I've just been letting all the truth, all the wisdom, all the, all the good stuff that I've just jammed into myself for so long. I'm letting that sort of naturally sort of play out. I keep thinking of the word ruminate, yeah, like you're just, just sitting exactly. in it and experiencing it. Yeah. And as life comes at you, you now have all this knowledge. It's like, okay, so what tools am I going to use out of this knowledge yeah. to address this, whether it's a positive or a negative, you know, a crisis or a, you know, huge win or everything in between. One of the things that I'm most grateful for is the fact that somehow I had wired in me to push really, really hard to get ahead, mm -hmm. right? I would not be here without that. But at some point, that almost becomes no longer useful, right? Because at the end of the day, kind of what got you here won't get you there, the whole Michael Go uh, Marshall Goldsmith thing. Mm -hmm. if, 
if you're constantly pushing yourself at the same level, I don't think it gives you that, that you did coming up. I just don't think it gives you the, the, the room and the space for, you know, some of the best ideas. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've noticed is, Mm -hmm. is a lot of, a lot of the greatest things that we've done as a company have been as a result of the sort of letting all this marinate and ruminate and seeing what comes out of that. And and it's been, it's been really fun. Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed that. And there's a lot less sort of like sprint pressure. Yeah. And what I hear you not saying, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's not that you're all filled up and you know everything, Mm -hmm. that you are still a lifelong learner. And I'm assuming there's going to be a day that that you're like, okay, I'm going to go seek this specific set of skills or this knowledge or this wisdom from this specific person. (laughs) Uh, And we'll go get that if it's necessary. I can't help but ask, too, that for this period of time that we had COVID, you also were recently married. You've had another kiddo. You've got another one on the way. So family life has always been important to you, from what I understand as I've gotten to know you over the years. Do you feel like your role as a husband and a father and really a community leader has lent itself to this, this I'm going to call it a pause, but I don't think that's the right word because you're certainly not paused, no. but to this new, new sense of awareness and being, do you think that your fatherhood role and your role as a husband plays into to that shift? Yes. I mean, being very, very happily married to an extraordinary woman is one of the greatest blessings of my life. Mm. You know, even when I'm away from her for a business day or, you know, for a short trip or even sometimes for a couple hours, you know, I miss her. Yeah. Right. So there's that. For me, I feel like the most blessed guy in the world. And I have as many challenges as anybody else does. But I do believe that my greatest wealth is my kids, Mm. right? And their struggles and their joys and their challenges and their opportunities. And, you know, but if if there's one thing I want to be remembered for, it's not an entrepreneur, it's a dad, Mm. right? Because dad to me is the most important, most critical job on the planet. And part of what drew my wife and I together is I always wanted to have more kids. And so the opportunity to get a fresh bite at the apple and have more has brought so much joy to my world. And I'm very, very grateful for that. There's a lot of ways to leave legacy. And no doubt that Kaiser is going to leave a legacy in the way in which you guys show up in real estate and, and being of selfless service. And legacy is everything when our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids and and all that goes on and they're still talking about Papa, (laughs) you know, down down the road. So I really admire and acknowledge you for that. Again, I don't know the timeline for sure, but we have had a couple conversations before we got on air. You guys have been married now for a handful of years and and it's the bulk of it has been during COVID. So I'm curious, uh, what's been going on for, for you and Kaiser? During COVID, how have you pivoted? What has shifted from a corporate and business perspective? And then if you'd also be willing to be vulnerable enough to say maybe how family life and your role as a dad has played. I I know for me, uh, I've only got one kiddo left at home. He's 16 at Corona, an athlete. And at the same time uh, that COVID hit, his dad had just landed in the hospital with Mm. some mental health challenges and an attempted suicide. And our whole life, the same time the whole world was changing, our life imploded. And I watched this kid shrink in in front of the computer doing that year in 
online. And I had to be here, continue to find a way to make ends meet. And I just watched him shrink. I watched the shades in the bedroom get lowered. I watched the baseball hat go on. Then I would walk in and I saw his his screen not even on and his teacher couldn't even see him. And I, it really took a lot for me to draw this very vibrant, smart kid back out of his shell. Uh, so that's, you know, those are the things I think about when we talk about COVID and the impact. I had a personal impact. I had a mother impact. I had a life impact. And then I also had this impact of business. So that's just a little glimpse into me. But what shows up for you when I ask, you know, how did Kaiser pivot and how did Jonathan have to pivot? Well, one, thanks for sharing yours. I think that that's an interesting topic to dive even further into. And I think there's more to that story that I'd love to hear. Like most people, we were blindsided by COVID. Our business had grown rapidly. We had won all the accolades and from top places to work to fastest growing to all those things, right? All the things that you as an entrepreneur dream of and when they happen are surreal. And then COVID happened. We had this sort of water in the face moment where in one weekend, every single one of my client requirements, every single one of my companies that I was helping with some sort of space, something, all went on pause. And many of them just went away. That was a very sobering experience. That has never happened to me before in my entire career. So that required some really quick thinking. And then we had to be all sent home. You know, we had to lay a couple people off just because there were, you, know, you don't need people in the office, you know, answering phones when that's, you the know, phone's not ringing. The phone's not ringing and you're not in the office, right? But otherwise, we kept almost everybody. And the idea was, how do we, you know, how do we serve? How do we live our mantra of selfless service when the world is, you know, seemingly ending around us? And we decided, you know what, even though we don't have any active real estate business really to be working on right now, everybody in the world is struggling with what to do with their current real estate lease, right? All these business owners office, industrial, healthcare, retail, they're all going crap. We can't use these facilities or only can use them partially. And, you know, unless we're a, you know, a business that's considered mission critical, you know, our people are home. What do we do? Are we like, does this justify a, you know, is this an act of God that's, 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 that's identified in the lease? Is this something that could get us out of this lease? How do we renegotiate this lease? How do we get rent relief? So we pivoted to serving. We pivoted to education. Hmm. Uh, My partners and I probably did 50, maybe that's an exaggeration, somewhere between 40 and 50 webinars, just coaching people for free. Wow. And one of the things that was cool about that is a lot of our competitors sort of just were reeling on the sidelines. And here we were, even though it wasn't money generating, we were serving, we were living our belief, our core mantra of selfless service. That positioned us in a powerful way globally in a way that could never have been possible without the pandemic. So for me, that's another example of how does selfless service lead to success? That's one example. It, 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 we were an outsized microphone at a little old Arizona broadcasting to the world and companies all around the world about what they should do on their real estate. Hmm. The other thing that I realized is whenever there's a crisis, Think of it as like squishing something, right? People get squeezed. And then you see stuff come out the sides that maybe otherwise you wouldn't see. 
So we started seeing people in fight or flight with behaviors that maybe weren't consistent with our ideology. And I also truthfully had time to look at it versus sprinting and driving the company forward like I'd been doing the whole time. And so I, I, after a lot of reflection and conversation and, and, and such with, with my partners, we decided to do something kind of cool. And we decided to reimagine ourselves as if we were a startup. Because one of the things that we said is we don't want to make incremental change. Knowing what we know today, not what would we do different, but what would we do? And then start with the, we're a startup, what would we do? And one of the things I did is I went through every process, every system, saying, I have learned a lot in the last eight years or whatever it was since we started the firm. What, what if we learned, and if we were going to do XYZ process today, not would we do it the same, but how would we optimally do it? Boom, design that, and then shift to that. Fundamentally, that's a very different question from what do we need to do differently from what do we need to do? I've never heard it. Completely separate. That's fascinating. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I guess I can take credit for it because it came out of my head, but it's another example of something that someone probably taught me. My coach probably helped me with this. I probably read a book about it at some point. Beginner's last... mind is what comes to me. Right, exactly But we right. kind of swoosh, we just forget that. Beginner's mind. Paramount is a though. Perfect way to say it. So we went back to beginner's mind. And so we did that for every process in our system. And then I said, well, we need to do this with our people. So I didn't ask myself, as I looked across our organization, which has grown rapidly, I didn't ask, who should I keep knowing what I know today? Mm. I said, knowing what I know today, who would I hire? And if it wasn't a hell yes, then we worked with those folks, tried to do it as gracious as possible. Some people saw the writing in the wall on the wall and opted out. Mm -hmm. Other people decided that they wanted to go a different path. But we really decided that we were going to focus on alignment and making sure that everyone within the organization was aligned around the mission, which if you think about it, it's kind of weird because I was the guy that going around talking about culture and I was talking about mission and all of these things. So I basically had to take my baby that I built, kill it, start over pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not really. Right. Because many of but the be people willing to. but be willing to and, and come from a mindset of that. That was the greatest thing. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. A lot of tears, a lot of stress, a lot of fretting, you know, a lot of, hey, is me getting rid of this top producer that's not aligned? How's that going to affect our revenues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. And then last year we had a record year and with an aligned group with no stress and no drama. And I think that's just extraordinarily powerful. And I think most, I can understand now having gone through it, why most entrepreneurs don't want to be turnaround people because it's painful to kill your own baby, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's really painful to, to rebuild something that was your idea and all the things that now you're saying aren't great were because of your ideas that, that you said were great at the time that's a challenge, but I feel like I've really grown a lot as a person. So that's, that, that's on the business side and that's been incredible. And now we've been hiring amazing people, but we're really focused on careful before it was like, grow, grow, grow. Now it's, it's, we only want to bring on people that are aligned. We say no to most people that, that, that try to join us. We really 
we really love who we are and, 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 and it's taken so much work to create it the way we like it. We don't want to screw it up on the personal side. I felt like I had to be a wartime president when all this happened. And there was a lot of stress from a lot of people, both on the client side, both inside Kaiser. Right. And I felt my own version of that. Right. I just decided that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be a victim about it. And I wasn't going to stress about it. And that I, what I was going to do is I was going to get up every morning and just give it my all. So I felt like I sort of emotionally picked up the whole company, threw it on my broad shoulders and said, I'm going to slug forward, you know? So it was, it was hard. It was, you know, there was plenty of times where I was shaking my head, but as we did all this stuff, it, it really started to show that COVID was a gift and it was a gift to us to enable us to have the time and the perspective to retool the organization to what we felt like was the right thing. And now like Katie bar the door, we are, we are just, we've never been busier and we feel very, very blessed. We're in a business where when you're busy, you don't complain because that means you have projects that you're making money on. So we're very grateful that even in a market where a lot of people are struggling, we're fortunate to have a good, a good pipeline of business. I didn't realize that you had gone beyond the U.S. borders with your business. Mm. This is, the, Kaiser is not just a, a national wonder. You're all over the world. We are. I mean, it's not under the Kaiser brand. We, I helped put together an organization called Exus Global, where collectively we have about 600 people around the world. Um, but we're a very tight knit group and we operate very aligned in a lot of ways. And so that's a, that's a great organization. And we do a lot of work outside of Arizona. Like we always have, but we've really, you know, we do a lot in the semiconductor space. We do a lot in the emerging technology space. We do a lot on the industrial side, you know, on the office side, we've been helping organizations figure out, you know, how to, how to pivot and how to make sure that they're building the workspaces of the future and, so yeah, it's been a busy time. Everybody's kind of focused on what to do on the real estate side and fortunately we're in the we're in the spot where we can help them. And that focus on the tenant and the end result, right? When the brick and mortar is up and the the walls are and the bathrooms in and the yes. refrigerator's plugged in, at the end of the day, it's the tenants that matter and what what purpose are they serving is really how you've shaped this. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about how you would advise, encourage business owners when it comes to this flex space, right? I think we're in that time where people are trying to decide, does it make more sense for us to stay remote? Do we do the hybrid thing? Should I, you know, force and expect everybody to be? What are you noticing in the industry and how would you advise folks as they have to make some of those decisions? Mm -hmm. Is it about flexibility? Yeah, everything's about flexibility. And I think that's true on the contracts. I think that's true with the people. I will say there was this kind of belief that was shared widely that office space is dead and everyone's going remote and all these productivity numbers were artificially manufactured to support that narrative. Mm. And the truth is, is that there's a place for remote work, certainly, but the vast majority of business does less than optimally with people working remote. So do, am I saying that I think people are going to come back five days a week, eight to five, be there, be square? No, I don't. I think that hybrid 
is the realistic solution of the future. And I think, and, and of the present and especially, you know, this year, even since January 1st, we've noticed, you know, the vast majority of companies are, are doing some sort of mandate and that mandate usually involves three to four days a week. Mm -hmm. Usually you're not doing five days a week. Some do, but I think that's really where it stabilizes. And I think there'll be a day to two days a week that people do kind of their focus work at home, but they're in the office, you know, two to three days a week at a minimum. And I think that helps with culture, that helps with productivity, that helps with kind of accidental interactions that lead to cool things at organizations. And I also think it leads to loyalty with employers. I and mean, one of the things that employers have found is that their relationships with employees have become much more transactional. Some of that was that employees carried all the cards post-pandemic, but that's changing, mm -hmm. right? And so I think as the employers feel more like the leverage is back in their court, they're going to keep trying to do what they believe to be best for their organizations. But there are some big exceptions. There's there's plenty of companies that are like, no, we're going remote or hybrid. But I think the vast majority of companies are realizing that there's a real value to being together in person. And I, I noticed that for our own organization, right? We let our space go during the pandemic, just didn't need it. And it no longer served us. We got a new headquarters. You know, I love, I just came from there. You know, I love, I love going into the office. I love being with all my my friends and my people. And if you're having a hard day, they're there to pick you up. And it's, it's, it's like the stuff that you don't really think about when you're at home, just working away, just being around a group of folks that you really like has, has, is, 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 I think it's a positive thing, even beyond the, the, the business benefits of it. And there's a new appreciation. I think when we did come back, <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, I took some of this for granted. And now, you know, I can linger in the conversation a little bit longer because we are face to face and heart to heart and mind to mind, as opposed to doing it through a, a screen and, and have lost that. Uh, it's became very singularly dimensional. How has this um, shifted for you then if we're looking more at flex, I don't want to call them flexible spaces, but you might change the terminology because I don't really want how, know how I'm terming that. When you're guiding and coaching folks for build-outs or, or their purchases or whatever they're doing, and and we we can only kind of foresee what's going to happen next with this hybrid remote or in-house full-time, does that change the way in which you're guiding folks and, and, um, and how are spaces looking different if they are at all? Yeah, no, there's a bunch of good answers. I mean, it's a very good question and there's a lot of layers. I would just say that, number one, I don't like the term flexible because... I think people associate that with like a WeWork or an Industrious or sort of a, a Regis kind of model. I mean, those certainly have their place, but really that's more entrepreneurial driven. Yeah. Most companies want to have their own space that's theirs and don't have other people in it and have the privacy and that sort of thing. One interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't think about is with these hybrid scenarios, if you're asking your people or telling your people to come into the office three days a week, people really don't like doing the here, here's your number, go to cube 42. And here's a, a wheeling thing from the closet with all your personal effects and you know, set up for the day and then return these to the closet. Like people really don't like Why, that. They don't like it because what? They feel like a number. They feel like yes. they, they don't get to bring themselves into it. I think it's just, hey, if I'm going to have to do this, why aren't I just working at home? Right. right? Uh, I gotcha. Like, and so 
so what you see is you have buildings with spaces in them that are empty 50 to, you know, 40 to 60% of the time. But companies still need the same amount of space because when all their people are in that they're mandating to come in, they have, a pla- have to have a place to put them. And I've even had to help organizations get more space because they want to have more collaboration space and they want to have more amenity space. And, you know, one other thing that we've seen is we've seen companies go, okay, we can either carrot or stick or both people back into the office, mm-hmm. right? And so the carrot becomes, hey, we're going to upgrade our space. We're going to go get a really nice space in a really hip area. We're going to build it out to the nines. You're going to want to be here. We're going to make the technology 10 times better than whatever you could have at home. So you've seen this sort of the term flight to quality with companies trying to, so the class A nicest office buildings, the demand for those has been off the charts, which a lot of people shake their head because they don't realize that because they just hear office is dying, office is dying, office is dying. But as all these companies go, hey, maybe I maybe I need a little bit less space because we either laid off people or we're letting some people work remote or whatever, but I want to upgrade my space to put in a place where the people that I do want to come in uh, have an amazing place to work for. So the really where the pain is, is in the space where you know, these class B office buildings that are older, smaller floor plates, lower ceilings, smaller windows, those have some pain coming. And some of them will be convertible to residential, hmm. but a lot of them aren't just because of how they're constructed. They're not. So it'll be that, that that's something that there is pain on the horizon for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So much to learn. I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to ask you today that I haven't thought to consider already. Take us back to selfless service again and excellence. You mentioned a while back that if you were to write another book, which I'm going to poke and prod and nudge you to do that, um, it might be along the lines of Kaiser's Way. What is that? Is it selfless service and excellence and those are the top tiers and, and everything falls under, underneath that? Or is there, is there another nugget or two in there? I would say there's lots of nuggets, but yes, to answer your question simply, yes, it is that. I think one of the things that is challenging for most people that are building something is they have these ideas in their head, right? So that just take the term selfless service. That's a big, squishy idea. Like that could mean a lot of things. Excellence. That's a big, squishy idea. That could mean a lot of things. So for me, where I think the value would be in any future publication that I do, which again, I don't plan on doing anytime (laughs) soon, would be kind of articulating how someone like me in the trenches building a company in a cutthroat industry has operationalized this sort of otherwise somewhat, a lot of other people could have different interpretations and sort of subjective ideas of selfless service. So the book would be to document how, right? How are we being excellent? Mm -hmm. Here's some examples. How are we being of service? Here's some examples. And again, I tease that in the first book, but this would be a much more like, this would be like a, like a workbook almost. Playbook. Playbook. That's exactly right. Hmm. I've heard you referred to with the phrase of this uh, commercial real estate disruptor. 
right? Would you say, yeah? Yeah, I've been called that many times. I know, right? I mean, I'm looking at, I've seen it on the headlines and on LinkedIn and that sort of thing. Is that still, two questions. Was that um, something that you said, oh yeah, we're going to go and we're going to disrupt this and, and we're going to do things differently, which you alluded to in the beginning. But was that was that word something that really appealed to you? And is it still fitting? Yes, I, I would say that, you know, rather than going in, I think disruptor has different, you know, I love the term. Mm-hmm. Do I think it perfectly uh, defines us? No, because I think what we are is more of a, we, we try to be an example, right? Mm-hmm. Here's what's possible. And if you would like to join us in this journey, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. But we're not trying to go out and say, oh, if you don't do it our way, you're bad and we're good. Like that, that's so far. So, so disruptor in the sense that, yeah, I don't think anybody at any kind of national or global level has ever written a book in commercial real estate called You Don't Have to Be Ruthless to Win, talking about how you should love and serve people, you know, and to get ahead. I mean, that in and of itself is an extraordinarily disruptive concept. And I think the, you know, to watch copycat firms arise, not only in commercial real estate, but in different industries that all adhere to the, to a similar core value set, uh, or set of principles is, is pretty humbling, right? Cause imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? Mm-hmm. So, so our, we're having an impact, right? And, and I just coming up through the ranks, I used to be a shark because I thought that's what it took. And then I had to change a heart and, and now, you know, do business very, very differently. I want, I want, you talk about legacy earlier. When I talk about all my kids, I want my kids to know that they can build businesses ethically, that they can do them by treating people the right way with respect. Not that I do it perfectly all the time, because I certainly don't. There's plenty of people that could happily probably share that with you. But that's the vision. That's the goal, right? That's the mindset is to love and serve to success and to stand for it in a way that's meaningful. And so in that sense, yeah, that's disruptive because that's unusual. And you have to, any like any disruptor, you have you know, all the people that think you're full of crap and all the people that, you know, knew you before. And they're like, there's no way you're that guy. Cause I know what you really like kind of thing. But I think as a, as a possibility, the idea that I'm just looking at your tagline right now, building business, connecting people. I mean, you know, that's what we're doing every single day is we're trying to be of service, build our business, of course, but connect with people and connect them to other people and be of service to them and figure out ways that we can add value. And really it takes a community and being a collective. So that's what I think I'm most proud of is, is Kaiser's success is certainly not about me. It is about all of our friends and partners, just like you in the marketplace that have been so gracious and so kind with us as we took this kind of bright eyed and bushy tailed wild, crazy idea of, you know, change in the business world and, and, and doing it through love and serve and putting that into reality. So I think there's a, there's a certain like deep humility that I have about it all. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, it really does take a village and I wouldn't be, I, I'm just one of the many in this community that are, I just came from lunch with one of them, an amazing guy. He spends all of his time trying to help others. Like there are so many of us out it's there. It's incredible. It's just for whatever reason, it hasn't been messaged at the highest levels and people, it, gets, it blows my mind. So I'm going to do a little aside just for one second. Yeah. So 
I think about this and talk about this a lot. I think most people, not only in America, but in the world, would say, yeah, the idea that helping other people, going above and beyond for them, giving to them selflessly, yeah, that's a good idea. I don't think there's very many people that go, that's a stupid idea, right? Like, So most people sort of naturally get that that is a good philosophical strategy, at least, or maybe not even strategy, a good, a good philosophy to try to adhere to in your life. So if that's true, then why, when we get into business, is it so different? Why in business is it so cutthroat, so shark infested, everybody scrambling, clawing, fighting, scratching and clawing their way to the top? I just think, and maybe I'm naive, but I don't think I am. I think that if more of us that are doing business this way, and you and I know each other through conscious capitalism and a lot of other things. So this is, again, none of this is mine. This is, this yeah. is me regurgitating and living into truths that have been around well, well, well before me and be around well, well after I'm gone. But imagine a world where people selflessly help each other in business, regardless of personal gain, understanding that it's in their own personal best interest to do so. Think about the value we could unlock as, a, as societies. Think about the business ideas that we could set free. Think about this, the, the individual wealth that could be created, right? Like, so, so that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's like, I'm just one of many, many voices saying, maybe there's a different way. And I would love over the rest of my lifetime to see the world. I believe it's trending that direction. Despite all the chaos, despite all the ugliness, despite all the hate, despite all the, I think that there is a movement, an undercurrent of this philosophy that I think ultimately will have a transformative effect on the world for the better. And that's the world that I want my kids to grow up in, right? That's a world that I want my kids to, to be able to operate within, with those same principles. And so at the end of the day, what, what do I want my legacy to be? I, I want to have just played a very, very small part in helping to move that possibility forward. Mm -hmm. And doing so with humility, <laughs> recognizing when we've made mistakes, being willing to say, I'm sorry when that's necessary. I make uh, more mistakes than anybody. You know, this is, this is the year for me to make mistakes. I had alluded to uh, really just a lot of chaos, not only through COVID uh, business-wise, but also in our personal life. And this past two years where I kind of came out of that fog, I really didn't want to make any mistakes. Therefore, I wasn't growing and I wasn't doing enough. And now this year, I'm really aware that in order to continue to build Phoenix Business Radio X and even just build myself professionally, I have to be willing to do things that I have otherwise just been thinking about, thinking about, and thinking about, and not moving on. And even if I fall flat on my face or if I fail and have to pivot and do something different, it's in that learning and that knowing that I'll get to where I need to go. And that you, that was Kieran 1.0 right. <laughs> before all this craziness. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I miss that girl. <laughs> I miss that part yeah. of it. Yeah. I want to go back to, and, and then we'll round out the show. We've got about 15 minutes left. You mentioned how there are sometimes naysayers in our life. And, and when, and we have that going on, I know that I've experienced that. In fact, even just really close, like within my family, when I show up on social media and I say that I'm really, you know, really want to be of service and I, and I care about your soul as much as I care about your persona and that sort of thing. I've had some people fairly close to me challenge me and, and think that I'm full of crap on that. And 
Have I shown examples of where I haven't been that? Yes, I have. And I think you mentioned that too. I guess my question is, when we're visible leaders like we are, and you so, certainly more so than I am, and, and you hear something from somebody, either they said it directly and, you know, they kind of roll their eyes or, or you hear, hey, somebody was talking smack about you. What do you do with that? How, and how do you recommend a, a, an up-and-coming leader, someone who's at that point starts to see that, gosh, I see all this great momentum in the life and the, in the way I'm being of service, and I have these many examples and proof of me doing good in the world, and then there's that one voice over here or that one person over here that wants to cut me off at the knees. How do you recommend, even if we just talk, you know, talk to Karen personally, how do you work through that? Well... I believe that I'll answer that two ways. One is that's not my concern. Trying to worry about what other people may or may not think about me. What a waste of energy that is. So I'll just pass. When you're doing things that are different, you have to expect criticism, period. Mm -hmm. What other people say about me doesn't define me. I decide who I am and I'm not trying to win a popularity contest and I'm not trying to have to prove myself to anyone. The only person I really need to prove myself to is myself, right? And that's a daily effort and I screw up all the time, right? Sometimes I'm like, dude, here I am, this guy that goes around talking about loving people and I was a total jerk right then, you know? But it's life, you know? And so I just, there's a self-acceptance that comes with this. It's like, if you're not willing to put yourself out there, I mean, if you put yourself out there and you're not willing to accept the criticism, you probably shouldn't have put yourself out there in the first place. So that's the first piece. Hmm. But I think the broader piece is, I think people are just almost always in general in pain. And I think anybody that directs negative sentiment at you, all they're doing is projecting their own pain. And so I have a, and I don't do this perfectly, but I have a really big heart for people that have a problem with me because I could find that. Right. Like I could find any criticism you have of me. Like I can find it. Tell me I'm full of crap. Yeah, I'm sure there are areas I'm full of crap on. Tell me more. I would like to learn, you know? So you talk about like a, a mindset of learning. I empathize more. I learned this from my mom. My mom is the most empathetic person you've ever met. And if somebody else is in pain and attacking her, she doesn't even notice the attack. She's so concerned for that person and why they're so unhappy. And, and genuinely, genuinely, like, like weeping for them, you know, while they're calling her names, uh, I've seen her do it. So I try to be like mom. That's what I think of is like, if somebody's mad at me, which happens one, they're probably right with at least a lot of what they say. And I have a lot of work that I constantly need to be doing to be better. And two, they may just need someone to love them. Mm -hmm. They may just need someone to be of service to them. And so mm -hmm. I think so many people are so concerned about, you know, this person, I was just having a conversation with my kids on the way to school this morning about this. It's like, it's like worrying about what other people are saying about you or whatever. It's just such a waste of, of energy. And instead it also means that you're thinking about yourself instead of thinking about other people. Mm. So if you're really of service to folks, you're going to be looking at that person and going, why are they in pain? How can I help them? And maybe there's nothing you can do. Maybe they don't want you to do anything. Well, that's fine too. But at least if your heart has that empathy, it takes all of the sting away from what somebody might say. And I think as human beings, we'd all be disingenuous, myself included, 
if it's not like I go, oh, this feels great. Somebody called me an asshole. Oh, <laughs> thank God. That's no, right? Nobody really likes it. So I think there's just the humanity element of it too. Just mm-hmm. knowing, hey, it's just part of the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Gosh, we could talk far longer. We won't. How do folks stay in touch with you? Are you you're active on LinkedIn? Yeah. Ish? I am. Yeah, I have a I have a great team and my team they do some amazing stuff on there. Good. I don't spend a lot of time on there myself personally. Yeah. But I have a world-class team. Yeah. And I love I love being able to see stuff that comes out of our company. I'm like, wow, that's really good. Very impressive. Man, I, I should have thought of that, you know? <laughs> love it. Yeah. And are you doing as much speaking as you were? No, ago? no, no. I decided that it was part of the, that was part of the big, you know, rush with the book and all those things. Mm-hmm. And I still enjoy to speak, but it, I don't like the lifestyle of speaking. I don't like traveling around and being away from my family. So mm-hmm. Kind of a homebody. I like being home. I like being with my family, and and I love what we're doing at Kaiser. I think what we're doing at Kaiser is so fun, and we have so many great clients. And so I just love everybody at the company. And it's just, I don't want to be away from it. Sort yeah. of like I feel about my wife. Like I just love, I love what I do. So I feel very blessed that I'm in the position to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know you are a very busy man and very specific about where and who you spend your time with. So I'm grateful that you were willing to come and spend some time with us today. It is my honor to be with you. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean commercial real estate with a focus on the tenant and business for that matter. Thanks for listening. I'm Karen Nowicki. We'll see you next time. <laughs>